Dad the Man, the guy who's living life the right way by loving and leading his family. World class at his craft and admired by many, but more importantly, he sets the tone for what a great man, husband, and father looks like. That's who Dad the Man is. And the truth is, as men, husbands, and fathers, we experience and struggle with so many of the same things. And it's time we recognize that we're all in this together. So drop your ego at the door and join us in the conversation. Welcome to Dad the Man. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. My name is Brendan Walt, and I am your host. And today I have one quick ask for you. If you are enjoying the show, if you enjoyed this episode, if you take anything away, please do me a huge favor and tell one person about the show. Help us to share this show. Help us to further our mission of helping men be better versions of themselves, for themselves, for their families, for their communities. I cannot thank you enough for your support. Today's guest is none other than Trevor Cowley. Trevor is a successful serial entrepreneur, most widely known for his podcast, Real Business Owners, which he co-hosts with his business partner, Cale Goodman. Trevor's businesses include Easier Accounting, 60-Day Credit Repair, an Everbowl store, and he's also invested in seven other businesses as well. Despite growing up in a challenging environment, his father walking out on his family when he was 12 and falling into drug addiction by the age of 20, Trevor overcame all of these obstacles to become the brilliant leader of his family, his businesses, and his social media and podcast followers that he is today. Trevor is hell-bent on contributing all that he can to this world that we live in, and it all starts with a dedicated daily practice to his own spiritual, mental, and physical health. One thing I really appreciate about Trevor is his down-to-earth attitude. With over 130,000 followers on the Real Business Owners Instagram page, Trevor personally responds to every single message that is sent his way, which I can vouch for as a follower and fan of their show. But above it all, Trevor is an amazing man, husband, and father, and I am so excited to share his story here on the show. So here's my conversation with the Trevor Cowley. And we are live. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Dad the Man podcast. My name is Brendan Walt, and I am your host. And today, we have a guest that I'm super excited to talk to, somebody that I have followed for about two years now, which is crazy. I tend to filter through people that I follow. People come in, people go out, but uh, but Trevor Cowley here, he's one of those guys who has really just provided some incredible content online, and uh, I've really appreciated what you guys have shared over the years. Um, so, you know, I just want to acknowledge you guys. I mean, when I think back about, you know, following you guys for two straight years, just the sheer volume of really just honest, I think, raw, practical, implementable advice that you guys have given to the world for free, to the business community, yeah. the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial community for free. Uh, man, it's awesome. And at the same time, you guys, I think, respond to every single DM that comes through your Instagram account. I was scrolling back, trying to see how long exactly I had followed you. And I was like scrolling. I was like, man, I've sent these guys a lot of DMs. And then I was like, they've responded to every single one. And it's not every just the emoji, one, it's, it's words, man. So uh, yeah, I mean, welcome to the show. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Happy to be on. But, uh, you know, in regards to that, I mean, you know, I remember starting out and sending messages to people that even had, you know, 30,000 followers or 50,000 followers or 80,000. And you just wouldn't even get a, a response back whatsoever. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, to me, I think I think it's a misstep uh, by those individuals. Right. The people that are actually following them, supporting them 
you know, it should be a two way street, right? You should be able to scratch kind of each other's back because those individuals are putting them on a platform to where they, they, their voice matters. But at the end of the day, you should make sure that the individuals that are following you feel like that their voice matters or that they matter. Right. And so, you know, we, we try to keep that top of mind as, as much as we possibly can. And we're hoping to always be able to stay on top of, you know, any direct messages that we get and try to bring value, whether it's through the content or through, you know, uh, a DM that gets sent to us. Well, uh, you guys are definitely doing a great job with it. The love, the love is felt on the receiving end. And I think it says a lot about the intention that you guys have and in, in truly serving the community. It's you guys, you know, there's no doubt that you're, you're here to contribute and serve rather than take away, which, which, you know, in, in yeah, the world, especially in the social media world, man, there's a lot of it. So it's a breath of breath of fresh air seeing you yeah, guys out there. Definitely a lot of takers in the world. So you got to be a giver. <laughs> no doubt. So let, let's jump right in. I, I want to kick things off, maybe warm up with a question, because I've heard you guys talk about this on your podcast um, a couple of different times. I'd love for you to walk us through uh, your morning routine and what that typically looks like for you. Yeah, no. Um, so in the summertime, I usually get up at 530 every single morning and I'm at the gym by 6 a.m. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I do is get up and I move my body. But uh, with school starting, I actually get my daughter up. Uh, so I, I set the alarm at six o'clock now mm -hmm. and I'm at the gym by 630. So I have to make little tweaks and adjustments in order to kind of help help out around the house, let my wife get a little bit more sleep because we have a daughter that has to be up by, you know, 615 or so. So she can start getting ready for school. Mm -hmm. And then I have my son where he doesn't have to get up until about, you know, 8, 8.15. So, um, so that he can be off to school by 8.45 or whatever it may be. But um, my morning routine is, is, is the same every, every single day for the most part, give or take, right? I mean, there's some days that, that I'll sleep in and give my body the time that it needs to rest. And, and again, I try to listen to my body as much as possible uh, without, I mean, every single morning I wake up, I don't want to get out of bed. You know, I mean, that so I don't listen to it every single time. The emotion of, oh, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, you know, all the excuses that kind of come into your mind that try to talk you out of doing that thing that you know will ultimately serve you. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I'm up by six o'clock every single morning. I get up, you know, uh, wake my daughter up, make sure she's in the process of getting ready for school. And then I head out the door and I'm at the gym by 630. I exercise, work out, move my body, making sure that my body's getting that dopamine that it needs to kind of think clearly, to feel good. I mean, we have a body that's built to move and there's not a lot of people out there moving their body uh, and honoring their abilities that, that, that were given by God, right? You're, you have extremities, you have a body, it's supposed to move. So do yourself a service and, and move your body um, so that you know, you could feel better in this thing that you have to live in for your whole life. Right. Mm -hmm. and so that's a, that's a big one for me is getting up, moving my body at the gym by six 30. Usually I'm done by seven 30 to seven 40. Um, I'm back to the house by seven 50 ish, something like that. Cause I only live five, 10 minutes away from the gym. And, uh, one of the first things I do is I say a prayer of gratitude, right? I, I want to, ultimately put myself in a situation where I'm grateful for the things that I currently have. If you feel like you're lacking something right now, 
it's because you're not thankful for what you currently have, right? It's okay mm-hmm. to want more, but uh, it's not okay to, you know, try to seek gratitude on a day-to-day basis for the things that are that are going right in your life or the food that you have, the shelter you have, the family that you have, the businesses that you have. There's always somebody in a worse situation. So I drop to my knees, humble myself, and just say a prayer of gratitude. Um, and then from there, I get up sit in the same chair and I meditate for 10 minutes, a minimum. Sometimes I'll go over 10 minutes, just depending on how I'm feeling. Sometimes I'm distracted and my mind has a million thoughts coming in and out. And the 10 minutes is about all I can, all I can do. But when I really kind of get into a flow, even after my meditation of 10 minutes stops, cause it's on an app called waking up. Um, sometimes I'll go over, you know, five, five, 10 minutes over. So again, exercise, uh, prayer of gratitude, and then meditate for a minimum of 10 minutes every single morning. Those are my non-negotiables. Those are things that I just don't really negotiate with. Mm-hmm. Again, there's some days where, you know, I won't work out. It's very, very rare that that happens, but there are times that I don't, you know, I'm going on a camping trip, you know, this weekend with the family up into the mountains. Um, you know, I'm not going to get up on Saturday or Sunday and, and go work out. I want to spend that time with my family. So, um, there, there's some, some situations where it doesn't happen, but the prayer, uh, would, will always happen. And for the most part, 98% of the time, the meditation happens as well. That's awesome. That sounds like, I mean, that's a hell of a morning right there. And you know, one of my, I, I that's one of my favorite questions to ask, and it's becoming more and more of a favorite because like people like yourself, people who are doing very well in whatever it is that they do, people who are you know, their best selves to show up for their, for their wives and for their kids, they're consistent and they're very intentional about taking control first thing in the morning, like setting that tone, like control what you can control. You know, like there's, it's your best shot to not have some crazy life variable coming at you at five or six in the morning. Like that's your best shot. Yeah. I mean, the whole world's asleep still. So your problems are still asleep for the most part. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The problems will be there when everybody, when the world wakes up, right. You'll get text messages you'll get emails or whatever it is, and you'll get pulled in a million different directions. But the idea is to really structure it so that you start your day the exact same way so that you're controlling your your vibration, how you go into the day, how you how you view the world, right? Because there's always going to be problems. 100% of people deal with problems. And you want to make sure that you're dealing with those problems with a clear mind, with uh, a mind of, of gratitude rather than feeling like the world's constantly attacking you. So that's the way that I kind of put on my armor and control the way that I start my day and the way that I feel about myself going into the day. So if I if I start my day the exact same way and it's of a, a high frequency where I'm going to be a better me, then I'm going to have less bad days. I might have problems, but I'll have less bad days because those problems will affect me less and less and less because I'm in the right, right frame of mind. 100%. And I think my favorite part of, of your whole routine is the, the gratitude first thing. That's something I, I challenge myself with that every morning. Like try to, try to consciously sit up, thank God, before my feet hit the floor every day, just for the fact that I woke up. Because there's some people that want that day, you know, and I try, yeah. I try to humble myself in that same way every day. Um, so let's move on a little bit. I would love to peel back and, you know, maybe hear you speak about your, uh, your childhood. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how you grew up, where you grew up, family dynamic, uh, siblings, who you were as a little kid. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I grew up in uh, St. George, Utah, small, small town. Um, it's grown quite a bit since, since I was younger, still live here. Um, I prefer the small town, you know, lifestyle more so than the busy, you know, hustle bustle. Again, it's just too much going on. It's chaotic. It's stressful in the bigger cities. So, you know, I sympathize with those type of people that, that are in that type of an environment, even going to work. If it takes an hour to get to work and you're stuck in traffic, again, it, it can mess with your frame of mind. So I definitely love, you know, living in a smaller town where I can get around in, you know, 15 minutes, wherever I need to go for mm -hmm. the most part. But, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't grow up with a whole lot, you know, financially, you know, there was a lot of love in the house. My mom, you know, always built me up. But uh, at the age of, you know, 12 or so, my dad was gone. He kind of left the picture. Uh, he wasn't really a good provider. That's why we weren't really growing up with much, right? So mm -hmm. um, powder milk, you know, where you just take the powder almost like it's a protein scoop, put it in water and mix it. You know, I grew up on powder milk. That's why I tell people I'm short. You know, I was malnutrition. <laughs> uh as a kid y'all had you know whole milk vitamin d or whatever and i'm over here with a powdered milk you know so um it, it you know i've seen my mom cry to the utility department um hey i've got seven kids in the house i promise i'll pay you 50 bucks on friday you know so i knew at a very young age that uh, that we were poor that we had less than a lot of people we had you know again enough food to survive but it, the, the pantries for the most part were empty it wasn't uncommon to you know eat bread you know just toast and and then you put a little bit of cinnamon right on top cinnamon sugar or whatever just to kind of flavor it up and so we you know we've had people knock on our door and run away and we'd open the door and there'd be like bags of food because people in the neighborhood knew that we didn't have a whole lot of food and that my mom was trying to you know at one point raise seven kids by herself right and so I have three older sisters, one older brother and two younger brothers. So I'm kind of right there in the middle of the mix. But um, at a young age, I realized, again, that, that we didn't have a whole lot. And when you don't have a whole lot, uh, if you want something you and you know that you're not your family's not in a situation to provide that, you have to provide that for yourself. So I always say I had the luxury of growing up poor because it uh, put me in a situation where I, I had to enable myself to put in work to get the things that I wanted. So if I wanted to, you know, my, my tire popped on my bike and I wanted to ride with my friends, I'd have to figure out a way to kick up money. I knew I couldn't go to my mom that maybe last week was crying to the utility department about trying to keep the lights on and, you know, make a $50 payment on that Friday or whatever it is, right? And so I would, I would mow lawns in the neighborhood. I would pull weeds in the neighborhood. There was a golf course, you know, um, probably about a half mile. And so I would go down to the golf course with a backpack, pick up golf balls. I would put them in my backpack, go home, polish them up. And on Saturday, I'd be at the golf course in the bushes and I would pop out when golfers would come up to the tee box and open up my bag for, for a dollar. Right. And they would pick through the balls. And I never understood why they were looking at the balls because I was like, it's a golf ball, you know. But now that I'm older, that they were looking for the good stuff, you know, oh, yeah. Titleist Pony ones and all there that. So, um, but a lot of the golfers, they they respected the hustle, mm -hmm. you know. So they they would they would kick down five bucks or ten bucks or buy a couple golf golf balls. And back then everybody had cash on them. Uh, you know, credit cards and debit cards weren't really the 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 big thing. Uh, when I was younger. So that was a good thing that everybody carried cash because everybody could buy golf balls. I had people hand me, you know, $10. Hey, 
that's for keeping your hat on straight. Cause I would have friends that would have their hat on backwards and these mm-hmm. golfers would be, you know, these old timers, you know, they would be like, Oh, the, I like this kid. He, he wears his hat on forward the right way, you know? And so they were always pretty supportive. So I was able to kick up 10, 20, $30 on a Saturday to be able to have money to go to the skating rink with my friends or to, you know, buy the the tube for my bike that I needed or save up and buy rollerblades if that's what everybody was doing. And so growing up poor um, put me in a situation again, where if I wanted something, I knew I had to go get it. And I think that that served me in my, as I grew up, right, in business, you know, as, a, as an operator, you don't have a whole lot of people that you could turn to. You're the individual, the problems flow up to you. You're supposed to create the solutions to the problems. And I think, you know, growing up poor, I had to be a solution maker to my own problems. And so it served me as I grew up and as I became an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to ask a question that might be a little bit more difficult to answer, but I want to ask it for, you know, other people who might be listening who may have had a father figure in in similar scenarios. You, is there anything that you've had to maybe work through or any, I don't know, enlightenments or realizations or things that you've just had to kind of dig through and work through as you've grown up and gotten older and more mature and wiser? Are there things that you've, you've uncovered later on that you think maybe have come from, I guess, that trauma of your, of your father leaving and, and maybe how you've kind of grown through that? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're young, you don't quite understand it. You feel like that they left you. Like Mm -hmm. it felt like at one point it was like, he made a conscious decision that, Oh, I'm leaving. uh, I'm leaving Trevor. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it feels like an attack on you, you know? And, and as I got older, I started thinking, I'm like, well, I started putting walls up. Right. Because if your own father can leave a situation, the individual that's supposed to love you, the, the most in the world, right? Your, mm-hmm. your parents, um, what, what else would the world do? What other people in the world would ultimately leave me if I open my heart up and try to try to love somebody? Um, it basically, for, like at, at a young age, I put a wall up around my heart where I couldn't give and receive love effectively because I was trying to protect my heart when in reality, I was protecting it from being hurt, but also from being loved uh, and accepting love from mm-hmm. the right people, the people that want to be in your life and choose to be in your life. And so it, as I got older, I realized that, you know, maybe, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what the situation was that he was dealing with, why he lacked motivation in terms of trying to provide for his family, uh, whatever the situation is. I don't, I don't have a, a, a relationship with him per se, um, still at this point, but you know, I just got to the, I, I got to a point in my life where I felt like I had to kind of take the walls down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to show my kids that this is what love is kind of half-heartedly, right? And if you have a wall up around your heart and you're not able to give and receive love effectively, it can become generational, mm-hmm. right? To where they feel like that this is what love is, but that wasn't real love because you ultimately built a wall around your heart and you, again, can't show and give love to your kids effectively the way that they need it if you're, if you're half-guarded, right? And so you, you, you have to be willing to kind of 
except the fact that no, they didn't choose just to leave you. They were running from a situation that they weren't man enough to handle just in general. It wasn't a conscious, I'm leaving Trevor. They were just leaving an entire situation that they couldn't handle for whatever reason. I'm not saying it's okay to do that, but um, I, I got to a point where I didn't feel like that I was the one that was abandoned, like by choice, I'm leaving Trevor type situation. He was running away from problems or issues that he didn't want to man up and face. And so it, that had nothing to do with me. It had to do with that individual, him as a person, not being able to, to take on those responsibilities. And I just happened to be one of the responsibilities. Right. And so mm -hmm. I had to, I had to, I had to go through a period of time where I had to learn how to, you know, kind of pull the walls down a little bit. And I'm still, you, that's a, that's a constant evolution. I'm not going to say I'm, you know, healed and I'm the best father and I give and receive love, you know, better than anybody else. I can't really say that, but that's an ongoing process. And an ongoing thought of mine is making sure that I try to give and receive love effectively. I appreciate you digging in and answer that. I, I, I felt called to, to ask that question just for anybody who might be in a similar situation. So thank you for, thank you for sharing that. So then let's yeah. move on from there. And if you can maybe give us kind of like a high level overview of, of how we got from, you know, you growing up in the situation that you did to, to where you stand now, a successful business owner of multiple businesses and invest an investor and, and others as well. Can you connect the knots for us at a high level, how we got from childhood to where we are today? So again, at, at a young age, knowing that I didn't have a whole lot, I kind of, I, I made a commitment. I remember, you know, I don't know the exact age. I just remember as a young kid thinking that this isn't okay. My environment that I'm in is not okay. I am poor. I have less than, and I made a, a, a conscious commitment to myself. I will not live like this when I get older. This is not going to be my reality forever, right? It might be my reality right now when somebody else is taking care of me. But when I'm on my own, I'm going to figure out a way to provide at a high level, high level for my family. Right. And so I always knew that I wanted to make money. I always wanted to know that I was going to be rich. I didn't know exactly what that looked like. Um, so I went, you know, went to high school, did, was a terrible, terrible student in high school. I didn't even graduate with my class. I didn't walk with them. I ended up having to take packets like homework assignments to get extra credits. And I got my diploma six months after everybody else walked. Uh, but that was because I didn't have a whole lot of structure at home in terms of, you know, a leader or a man, right? And so what usually happens is you find structure in the streets or in the neighborhood or with people that maybe you shouldn't be hanging out with because you just want to be accepted, right? Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I wasn't hanging out with the best, best of people. I didn't have the best of influences in a poor neighborhood, right? People are smoking, drinking, partying, whatever. Um, but I started running around with that crowd. Didn't really care a whole lot for school because I just felt like I wasn't smart. I didn't, I felt like I couldn't retain information, but it was just that information that they were giving didn't, didn't, I, I didn't have any interest. I didn't tie it to anything. You know, if you tie a certain subject where if I do this, I can make X amount of money, then you could start being interested in that topic because you can associate it with an outcome. In school, I, I couldn't see how me making up money in school kind of went together. I just didn't feel like I was a I was a good fit for the system, so to speak. So I didn't go to school, didn't graduate on time, eventually got my diploma, 
Uh, I was doing landscaping right out of high school and I went over to a buddy's house and he started talking about being in sales. He was a sales guy for a company and they were selling like internet marketing. Again, this is like 2003 or four when the internet was still somewhat new. And so they were targeting business owners, wanting to help them with their online presence, get a, get a website, get marketing to their website, this new, new generation of, of individuals that will start doing business this way. And he says, I, hey, I make like 1500 a week as a sales guy. I said, there's no way. I'm, I'm waking up at 4.30 in the morning doing landscaping, you know, digging trenches, laying sod, moving mm-hmm. rock, you know, sprinkler systems, the, the whole nine yards. But I was making like 350 bucks a week. Again, this is, you know, almost 20 years ago when people were getting paid like seven, eight bucks an hour, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as a grunt worker, like I was landscaping. I wasn't running crews or anything because I was 19 years old. And he started talking about this money that he was making. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Like, you're not waking up at 4.30. You're not having to really, like, bust your body in order to get a paycheck. And you're making way more than I am. And so they finally, after that night of hanging out with him, talked me into giving sales a shot, right? And so how I reconciled that was I can always go back to landscaping. I'm a grunt worker. Everybody's going to need somebody to to dig a hole or move sod or move rock or whatever. If this sales thing doesn't work out, I can always default back to working at a landscape company. That wouldn't be difficult, right? Mm -hmm. And so I I wanted to give it an honest effort. I remember showing up the first day to work and there were people driving, you know, Escalades and, you know, a a lot nicer vehicles than than I've ever been around, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I, I, right when I saw that parking lot and there was a couple nice cars, I said, I wanted to be really, really good at this sales thing. And so I went in there, started getting pretty dang good at this sales thing because I was like, I'm, I'm not smart. I'm not going to college. I don't have a whole lot of opportunities to find my way out of a negative situation that I grew up in. How am I, how am I going to make a bunch of money? as an idiot. That's kind of how you think because the system programs you to think that you're less than because you didn't do well with inside the system. And so you have a lot of self-limiting beliefs um, if you don't perform at a high level through school. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I I knew that this was my opportunity. I had to be good at sales because you didn't have to know a certain, uh, you didn't have to have a certain degree or know something. You just had to be able to be a good communicator and get your point across and, uh, you know, influence people, so to speak, to purchase your product or your service. And so I got, uh, I got pretty decent at sales, uh, mm-hmm. started hanging around some sales guys that were drug users and abusers. Uh, so I started abusing drugs. By the time I was 20, I was a full-blown, you know, Oxycontin addict, uh, uh, popping painkillers and all that. It turned into me going broke, um, because whatever money was coming in was going out for my drug habit. And then I turned into a heroin addict. So by the time I was 21 to 24, I was shooting up heroin, you know, on a day-to-day basis, every single day, cocaine, meth, whatever I could get my hands on. I was just trying to escape reality. Um, And it could be, again, past situations as a child, maybe me feeling less than my dad leaving me, whatever, you know, all of those situations, who knows exactly what why I chose to go down that path. But again, there were people that were 
above me making more money than me. This is what they were doing. And if they're doing it and they have nice things or making money, then I want to do what they're doing. Right. So I was just kind of following the crowd. Right. And, and that was kind of a theme from childhood to about the age of 24 years old. When I, when I, when I decided that it's time to get clean and, and really start focusing on building a life for myself. So I got clean at right before I turned 24 years old, I went back into cells and I committed that I would never mess with like drugs and go down that path again. And so I started doing good, good in sales. Um, I ended up working for Kel, my, my current business partner. So we, he was working at the company that I went to work for at 19, but we went down different paths. He went, worked for another company, ended up starting his own business. I went down a drug addict path. And when I got clean, we kind of came back together and I was a team leader. I was leading a team of, of individuals. We were making sales, selling internet marketing. Um, and then uh, it got to a point in 2011 or 12 where the company was failing. It had lost 200 grand uh, the year prior, there was no money in the account. There was $66,000 in credit card debt. And they said the company's basically broke. And I said, okay, well, if you guys want to put more money into it, you want to allow me to run the company. Cause I was already managing a lot of pieces, just not the back end in, in terms of how the money was being uh, handled. Right. And they had a, a business partner that was handling the money and he wasn't doing it right. He was putting people on high salaries, family members, you know, investing in a bunch of different things rather than investing in the business that was working. And so he basically splurged so much so that the money was gone. Mm -hmm. And I said, you guys can inject more money in it. I know this business could work. Um, and they said, well, we see more value in you as a owner than we do as an employee based upon what you've been doing the last couple of years that you've worked for us, taking on as much as you've taken on. And they said, if you want to invest, and during that time, I was driving a $3,000 Mitsubishi Lancer making 120 grand a year, 130 grand a year. It has no air conditioning. It's 110 degrees here in St. George, Utah during the summers. I drove that car, lived in a crappy townhouse, $750 a month. Again, I'm making 120, 120, 130 grand a year for a couple of years straight there. Why I was living off of very, very little, because again, I knew a, a I wanted to make money and I knew the only way that I could make money is if I was very, very smart or if I had money. Those are the, that, those are the two people that opportunity looks for. Very smart people that are skilled or individuals that have money. That's why rich people always get presented opportunities because they could bring the opportunity value. And so I purposely lived on very, very little. $750 a month, paid off $3,000 Mitsubishi Lancer, was stacking cash over those couple of years because I knew eventually there would be an opportunity for me to become my own uh, business owner or invest into something. I didn't know this was going to be the exact scenario, mm -hmm. uh, but it presented itself. I had money saved up in the bank based upon the way that I chose to live my life when I had a high income and uh, low, low overhead. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I came in with money. Uh, it put it in a business account. We set up a new entity that the old partner uh, there was an office in Salt Lake and there was an office in St. George. He got the office in Salt Lake. We got the office in St. George. Within two years, he was out of business. And then, you know, here we are still operating and, and uh, seeing success. And so the first year I took over that business and invested money, it was a $700,000 turnaround. Wow. So from being negative 200,000, losing 200,000 the previous year, we basically profited a half a million dollars. So 
it was uh it, it was quite the turnaround we just you know i looked at the looked at the books i looked at the numbers and figured out where i could save 10% on the overhead and if i can increase the numbers by 10% that's a 20% difference where we can actually really start making money and that's what i did turned that business around we purposely kept a lot of money in the bank so that we never put ourselves in that type of situation again where we didn't have money and the business was struggling business has ups and downs it will struggle you'll have you'll have problems, right? Uh, but you you need to insulate yourself with problems by the way that you choose to live, right? If we were milking that business dry by taking big checks the entire time, then we wouldn't have the reserve that we had. And that reserve ultimately turned into more business opportunities mm -hmm. where we would start another business or another business or invest into a business because we would keep enough cash on hand in the business. And that's how we've been able to, to create multiple businesses and uh, invest into 10 different businesses outside of our own companies. That's so cool. I mean, that's an incredible story. We just covered a lot of ground there. Um, so first, I want to say congratulations on getting clean, staying clean and crushing it in that regard. Um, and it's been really cool, you know, just getting to know you guys, learning about your story and, and how you um, had the foresight to know that you, you would be able to you know, you don't know when that opportunity is going to come, but if you can stack cash and you can prepare in advance, you have an opportunity to buy yourself an opportunity. So it's really cool to hear you express through that. So I'd like to transition a little bit now, if we can start peeling back. So we just covered a lot of ground in your life from, yeah. from start to where we are now. At what point in the picture did your wife come into play? Um, so that was when I was working as a, a sales rep for Kel. Okay. She was a secretary. Oh, nice. nice. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, you know, scamming on the secretary, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you, you, you know, when, when you when you get to a point in life, you kind of quit the party and phase a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're very focused on, you know, building something. You don't go out a whole lot. You don't go mingle. You don't, you know, so I was very, you know, it was work exercise gym get my exercise in and, and home right and so mm -hmm. you don't have a whole lot of opportunities to meet uh meet women when you're super driven and focused right mm -hmm. and so uh, um but i walked in the first day and i saw her and i was like okay she's she, she's got a target on her back now <laughs> you know? so and uh and, and i'm pretty good at hitting targets when i when i get motivated so um, so she had a target on her back and, you know, I'd flirt with her or whatever, you know, we kind of go back and forth a little bit. She started, we started hanging out and dating just a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's, and one thing led to another and, you know, we, we have a family of three and here we are uh, basically 11 years later. So, uh, it's been, it's been quite the journey, but, uh, you know, Kel's wife, my business partner, I knew her before before he did and got her a job as a secretary. And so he ended up marrying one of the secretaries <laughs> I did. And our other business partner, Coulter, that runs 60 day credit repair, mm -hmm. he met his wife <laughs> at work and she was a secretary. So that's kind of a, a theme here. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, hey, you're consistent. Yeah. I mean, everybody, they all took a page out of my book, you know, because <laughs> uh, I was the first to do it. So Oh, that's awesome. So thinking about everything that you guys have going on in life now, I know you're, like you said, you're, you're hustling with all the businesses and everything going on at home as well. Talk to us a little bit about the, the role that your wife plays for your family and then maybe how you support her in that role. 
Um, she, she plays a, a huge, 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 huge role, you know, in our family, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be the family that we are without her. She's cut, she flat out, she's the glue of the family. Like that, that's just, it just is what it is. Right. Um, for the first, you know, five years or so in business, I was very, very, very focused on, you know, trying to secure our financial situation. That was like my main, main focus. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying for people to do that, but um, that's the way that I did it. You know, I, I set hard boundaries. Like you don't call me at work unless it's an emergency because I want to be in a certain frame of mind. I want to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. I wanted to be aggressive at work and I didn't want to be in, in husband mode or father mode or whatever it is. And, and again, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I didn't know what I was doing. I was new. So I wanted to set structure and boundaries and this and that. like, let me focus on my thing over here to where we can secure ourselves financially without distractions um, so that I didn't have to go from aggressive manager, owner, you know, operator trying to create solutions to, oh, dad mode or husband mode or whatever it is. I mean, obviously if it was an emergency or something that, that needed to happen, you know, she, she would fall, but um she, she, she dealt with it very, very well, right? She was very understanding of, of that, um, probably more so than she should have. You know, she should have probably said, screw you. You know, you are a husband, you are a father. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll call you when I want to, you know? So, um, but she was, she was supportive of that. Um, and we started making, you know, 2000 a week, then 2,500 a week, 3000. And we started really, really, uh, you know, seeing progress financially. But again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the household that I have. Uh, and all that money would be meaningless if she wasn't there, you know, uh, if my kids weren't there. Right. And so that's what I'm working for. And she did such a good job in the, you know, first five years of really trying to build something. Uh, she was just so understanding and, and she dealt with all my ups and downs and my craziness and, you know, my mood swings, because when you're younger, you let the good days, you know, you're on a high and you come home and you're happy. And then the bad days you walk in and you're grumpy and, you know, so she dealt with my mood swings pretty, pretty well. Obviously, those uh, those taper down as you get a little bit older because you start realizing what's what's most important. Mm-hmm. When the money piece is taken care of, it basically pulls back the curtain to let you know really what's important in life. Because when you're younger, you just think money, money, money. That's the most important thing. But mm-hmm. when you actually have that thing, that money, you realize, well, I would give all that up for my family in a heartbeat, right? And mm-hmm. so. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say that if my wife wasn't in the picture. That's awesome. That's such a good point, man. If like, if, if something, you know, we work so hard for the money that we have, but it, you know, when we do it for our family, but the reality is, you know, if it came down to it, we'd give it all up for all those people, you know, and that's such, that's such a point. That's such a great point that I think, um, you know, I've failed to consider that in the past. And it's something that I've learned over the last couple of years, um, as I've grown in my career a little bit, but I hope everybody just heard you say that. Cause I think that's such a huge point to keep that in mind. Well, you um, can't really say it until you have money, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> because somebody will say that and they're like, Oh, you could say that now. Cause you have money to whatever it is. But, um, you'll hear a lot of people that are successful talk about uh, that exact same topic. You know, money, money is meaningless if you don't have 
individuals to share it with, share experiences with, and, uh, you know, and, and, and for me, that's my family. Cause I am, I'm, I'm a big time homebody. I don't really go out. I don't really socialize. That's not, that's, Yes, I do the social media thing. It looks like I'm a big extrovert, you know, in certain scenarios I can be, but, uh, you know, I prefer to be an introvert because I just, you know, I, I feel most comfortable at home with my family than I do in, you know, public settings. And so that's where I want to spend any free time that I have outside of businesses at home with the people that I care about. So let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about your kids. Um, thinking about, uh, you know, raising, raising your kids, what are some lessons that you're really focused on right now? I guess like values that you may be intentionally parenting, um, into them at, at this current point in time. Yeah. Um, I would say one thing that I hit very, very hard on is I don't care what they're good at or what they're not good at. What I care about is their effort. That's it. You know, my daughter playing soccer, or whatever it is, she's in quite a, quite a few different sports. She plays, you know, soccer, she plays softball, she plays basketball. She's, she's, you know, soccer's her main thing, which she's done since she was like four years old. And now she's almost 12, right? So she's on a club soccer team where they go travel, do tournaments, you know, all that, all that stuff. And I always tell her, just give me your best effort. That's, I don't care if you guys win, you know, 10, nothing, or you lose 10, nothing. I just want to know that you're giving your team a hundred percent of what you have the ability to give. And, uh, I just, I hate people half-heartedly committing or I, I think winning's more fun. Like I, I, it just is right. Like it's one thing kind of going through the motions, but it's another thing when you put in effort and you actually see a result, uh, from those efforts. And I say, never be the reason why your team loses. Don't ever be the reason why, you know, something bad happened in a game and it's because somebody got by you. Always give your team 100% effort. And, 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 and I say that because it's not about her. It's, it's about the team. And people need to understand how you contribute to a group of individuals, whether you're an employee, whether you're an employer, is contribution. You know, giving 100% effort. Uh, secondly, I would say, you know, just being a good person, you know, um, I, I demand a lot of my kids because one, I didn't have a whole lot of structure growing up. I didn't have a whole lot of guidance growing up. Um, and I expect my kids to, you know, treat like teachers very, very well because they're in a classroom with whatever 30 kids and it's got to be stressful for them so I sit down and talk with you got to understand there's 30 students in there make sure you're an individual that's not causing problems that you're actually trying to help your teacher I want them to respect law enforcement respect their teachers respect their grandparents I, I I'm not big on devices my 11 year old almost 12 doesn't have a phone yet you know, she, uh, sometimes she feels like she's the only person in school that doesn't have a phone, but I do not want her self-esteem to be affected because we all get on social media, whether you like to admit it or not, we can, it's just natural. Your brain starts comparing yep. this image to your, the, the self-image that you have. And I do not want her to start doing that at a young age and, and playing the comparison game. And so one, I would say, hundred percent effort. If, if you're, if you're going to do it, give it your all just to see what the result is. Secondly, a high level of respect. If your coach asks you to do something that you do it, 
and you, again, give it 100% effort. Um, if your teacher asks you to do something, you do it. Um, there was a, a time, you know, at school when there was a teacher that, you know, parent-teacher conference or whatever, and she said, hey, Claire's just such a sweetheart. There's a kid in class that, you know, is pretty disruptive, uh, doesn't do his homework, this, that, the other. And she asked the entire class if anybody would stay during recess to help this individual out with some of the homework. And my daughter was the only one that raised her hand. That's awesome. And so she sacrificed her recess to help this other kid. And so it's stories like that that let me know maybe, maybe some of these lessons are actually sinking in mm -hmm. where she's helping teachers. She's, she's being of service. She's contributing rather than being a problem maker. She's, she's trying to help create solutions rather than create problems. And so that's, that's a big deal for me. And I expect that type of stuff from my kids. Uh, and, and if that doesn't happen, I make sure that there's some tough conversations that need to be had so that uh, we can realign, you know, the way that they're supposed to act in certain situations or scenarios. That's awesome. So as we as we start moving towards winding down here, I've got two last questions I want to uh, run by you. So question number one, um, you know, looking at you public perception, like you said, following you on Instagram, you're all over the place. Like, you, I mean, you guys are, have have achieved so much success. You're doing so well in your businesses. Your podcast is incredible. Um, the Instagram account is a great follow as well, like beautiful family. From the outside looking in, I think it would be easy for someone to say, man, this guy's just like, he's got it. He's got it figured out. You know, he's rolling. So considering all of that, is there anything that, you know, maybe you struggle with personally or anything that you're consistently just working on within yourself or anything that you're focusing on right now? Um, you know, it's, it's again, that's social media, right? You know, this guy has this, 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 and, and this figured out, right? Um, patience is, is something that I try to always work on. Um, that's really what brought me to meditation, you know, trying to figure that out because I labeled that as, you know, a hippie or a weirdo or this or what, like you have to be a certain type of person to do these things. And the only reason why I wanted to start going down that path is because I wanted to, I wanted to have more patience, right? Like when you're, when you operate businesses, you want things to Hey, do this, did it. And then it's so easy to come home and almost manage your family. Like you're trying to manage a business. Right. Mm -hmm. And those are two completely separate roles. Right. And so do I, do I take some of the leadership side of business and try to do that in my family and, you know, have those tough conversations when they need to be had with my, sure. You know, so there are areas where it does serve me, but you know, I, I would say my patience, I'm not the most patient person. Uh, I can be, you know, very demanding um, in, in certain situations if it doesn't go the way that I expect it to go. And so I struggle with, with patience more so than anything. And I think I struggle with that because I project what I expect out of myself onto other people, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, Michael Jordan can't expect everybody on the team to play like Michael Jordan. He's Michael Jordan. Yes, he can try to force uh, those individuals to evolve and, and, and to get better, but he can't force the desire that he has for greatness on other people. He can just try to pull the best that he can out of them. And 
except that some some people their best is a B player or a C player or a D player, and he has to use those players um, in whatever fashion he sees fit in order to try to win the game, right? And and that's the same with a coach. You know, it's up to them to put people in a in, in a position to succeed and win. Um, and, and it's, it's hard to do that if you're projecting your expectation of self onto other people, your children or your, your workers or whatever it is. And so I, I lack patience. I lack patience uh, big time because I, I want what I want and I want it as soon as possible. But again, as you get older, I'm 37 now, um, you, you learn a lot in your 30s that life, life doesn't work on your terms. You know, and so you have to learn how to become a little bit more patient in certain areas, like dealing with your children, right? They're still just kids. They're still developing. Even if you've had to tell them the same thing a million times, they're still <laughs> developing, right? It sometimes mm-hmm. seems like it never sinks in. But then you get those little stories, whether it's from the teacher at school that says, okay, well, maybe success leaves clues, right? So, and if mm-hmm. you actually look for those things, uh, those things will pop up and let you know that some of the stuff that you're doing is working, but I would say, you know, individuals, probably a hundred percent of us need to do better with the patient side of things with whether it's employees, whether it's with children, whether it's with a spouse. Um, and so that's something that, that I feel like that I'm constantly working on and that I can, it's still improve greatly, um, is, is my patience, especially if you've had a long day or a hard day and you come home and the kid, the house is dirty the kids are running crazy you just want peace and quiet from the world and you want a place where you could take the world off of your shoulders but it doesn't it doesn't happen on your terms so it's up to us to evolve to where some of the external things don't affect us you know um as much as they would with an individual that's not trying to work on themselves that's so well said i mean patience is just something that, that there's no doubt like you said we can all get better at that yeah. You can't, you can't be too good at it. So last question for you. Um, when I think about the word legacy, I think about the moments, the memories, the lessons, the experiences, the things that we're going to leave behind to our kids for them to remen- remember us by. Um, so if you think about, you know, yourself in that situation where, you know, kids have grown old, kids have grown old, you know, you know, you've, passed away or moved on and you're leaving your kids behind with with these moments these memories these lessons what do you want your kids to remember about their dad um i I want them to remember that again i gave life everything that i had you know that i was very disciplined um that sometimes our our parents try to teach us lessons that don't make sense till until we're older (laughs) until Mm -hmm. we're a parent right yep um and so i i hope that you know some of the lessons that i've that i've tried to instill in them uh because i think that uh i think the the world is just getting crazier and crazier and crazier and i think people really don't want to parent anymore that's why they just give their kids devices that's why they just let them roam free um there's not a whole lot of structure in families anymore um there's not leaders in families anymore because people again are just tired they're exhausted the world's coming at them they have a lot of stresses and so i want them to know that i was an individual that one gave life everything that i had but also an individual that 
cared about their family. And the only reason why I gave life everything that I had, it was for my family. Because if I was single by myself with no kids, I wouldn't, I, I know I would not be where I'm at today for a fact, because prior to that, I was living a fast life, party, drugs, whatever. And my family is what made me want to be better. And I hope that they understand that one family is going to be the most important thing in their life. I want them to have good relationships with their siblings, and I want them to just be good human beings. I don't care if they're worth millions of dollars or, you know, $50. I want them to, to see me, you know, I, drive, I, I hand homeless people $20 or whatever. And again, I'm not telling people to do that, but I want them to see uh, the value in helping out others. That's probably the most important thing in life is just contributing to enhancing other people's lives gives your life far more meaning. That's gold, man. I appreciate you coming on today, Trevor. This has been an awesome, awesome, awesome conversation. Hearing you unpack your life events, the lessons that you've learned in your marriage and your you know, relationship with your kids. This has been incredible. Um, where is the best place for people to, to follow you, to learn more about you? Where do you want to direct people? Um, they can go to real business owners on Instagram. It's just at real business owners. Um, same thing on, on a podcast. If you want to listen to the podcast, there's a Facebook page, you know, we don't post it as regularly on the Facebook pages we do on Instagram. So it, we're, we're very Instagram heavy, just trying to focus on that at this point, we need to do a better job of evolving into different platforms. But, you know, at this point, our businesses are our main focus, not our social media, our businesses are what pays our bills. And so, um, you know, we're hoping to, to hand off more and more duties, um, over the next, you know, few months, six months so that we can kind of take a step back, focus a little bit more on real business owners, create our own community, uh, try to coach, help mentor, whatever it may be, um, and continue to try to bring value to others and contribute in a positive way to the world. Just as I talked about my legacy for my kids, I want them to do just that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I have to be a shining example of that. And I think social media is a great way to leave behind a lot of digital content uh, for kids and grandkids and a, and a lot of other people uh, in future generations to see who you were, um, the type of individual that you were, you know, whether you were contributing and whether you were trying to serve or not. And I want to leave behind that legacy there. So Check us out on Real Business Owners on Instagram. If you have questions, you can shoot us a DM. Like he said, we answer every message, and uh, you know Everyone. we're not experts. At, we're not we're not experts at everything, but uh, we'll do our best. And if we're not good at something. We'll say, hey, that's not our our area of expertise. But that's the best way to connect. Awesome. Well, we will link it all up in the show notes, and uh, definitely I'll, I'll echo that. Everybody, go give them a follow. It, it is awesome content. The podcast is incredible. I love it. Uh, Trevor, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been such a gift to have you on. I really, really do appreciate it. It was good, man. It was good. Appreciate you reaching out. All right, brother. Talk soon. All right, everybody. That's it. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, do me a huge favor and subscribe to the show or leave us a rating and review. We can't thank you enough for your support. Until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.